Good morning. My name is Andrew Wilcox and this is my wife, Brittany. We are so happy to be here with you this morning. We wanted to welcome everyone to Anchor Point's live online service. So Andrew and I started attending Anchor Point around a year ago now with our three beautiful boys and then a global pandemic hit. So uh, you probably may not have even seen us without masks on, but this is what we actually look like. Um, and despite this pandemic, we still have been attending Anchor Point through their online services. Um, we have experienced firsthand just how incredible this church is just in the last year, the sense of community and the outreach, and it has just been such a blessing to be part of this Anchor Point family. Yeah, we've been so thankful for the leadership team and for Tom and his guidance and just welcoming us. And we felt welcome from day one, the the, the minute we walked into to that building. So just, yeah, very heartfelt uh, appreciation. Um, we also wanted to say thank you for everyone who's giving regularly to this church and to their mission in Alliston. Um, and we just wanted to encourage those who are still looking to give that you can do this through e-transfer at giving, uh, emailing it to giving at apalliston.com. And we'd encourage you to, to uh, think about doing that. Um, we just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message is both encouraging and challenging to you. And uh, we just pray that you would have a great morning. Have a fantastic Sunday. This is a reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. By grace through faith. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning. How are you? So glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Tom, if I've not met you, and I'm recording this uh, from my living room in my house in Alliston. So I live here in the great town of Alliston, Ontario, with my wife and our four kids. And I'm really stoked that you're here with us this morning. So I wanted to tell a story, guys, before we head into um, Ephesians chapter 2 together. And it's kind of embarrassing, kind of funny. But um, years ago when my wife and I were first dating, I was really into button-up collar shirts. That was kind of like my style at the time. 
And so we actually went to Value Village and I was looking through the shirts and I found this one that I thought was just really nice. I was like, man, Jess will really like how I look in this shirt. And so I put this button up shirt on and I was like, man, it's a nice black color. I don't have a black one. Probably goes with everything. Everyone looks good in black, right? And so then I go walk over with the shirt on to see Jess on the other side of the store. And I was like, kind of like walking up like, yeah, she's going to think I look amazing. I'm like, so what do you think? And she kind of makes a face like, eh. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And she's like, do, do you like it? And I was like, yeah, it's a nice like black button up shirt. What's that? She's like, oh, actually it's very, very purple. And I was like, oh, okay. And I am, I am colorblind. So I trusted her in the matter, but she saved me from walking out with this purple shirt that I was under the impression of that it was this nice black button up shirt. And so in that situation, she spoke the truth. She wasn't afraid to offend me. She spoke the truth and it actually helped me in the long run because I would have been under a false pretense. Like I'm walking around with this great black shirt, but it's actually eggplant purple. And so this is something I, I think is that is undervalued in friendship and beyond that, just in the world right now. And um, we live in a culture and in a society where we often speak with subtleties or passive aggression or we don't really know how to just speak the truth out as, as often as we should do. We, we more often hedge the truth rather than say what we really think or what we really feel. And as disciples, as we're kind of learning together what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be with him, to become like him and to do what he did, it's really important for us to have this in our minds and in our hearts that we want to be committed to people. We want to be committed people um, who, are, who are like contending and trying to live in reality. It's never a bad thing to look reality in the face. It's never a bad thing to, to speak the truth in love. Um, and so today, as you guys would have just heard the, the words from Paul to the church in Ephesus that Johnny read, he's, he's shooting them straight. He's, he's given them some honest reality checks in, in that, those, those 10 verses there. And so that's what we're gonna be doing today is we're gonna, we're gonna be unpacking what's actually happening in, in the spiritual world, in our hearts and souls, as we are living apart from God, and then hopefully as we receive what Jesus has done for us, what that looks like to live life in God and with God. And so in, in short form, we're looking at this idea of salvation today. And in doing so, guys, this requires us going into the, the depths of despair so that we can be brought back up with Christ. And that's just like that, that theme that we've been talking about a lot of like the incarnation of Jesus coming down and bringing us up, us up back with him is what we're going to be looking at. And that's going to mean we're going to go all the way from hell to heaven. We're going to go from despair to hope and then from death to life. So it's going to be a reality check. And because there's so much to talk about, we're going to do it as, as simply and as, as hopefully as clearly as possible. And when I say we, I mean, I'm going to be leading us together as we look at the Bible. And the, in four sections, so the problem, the solution, the purpose, and then the choice. Those would be the four sections we'll be looking at today. So there is a lot and, you know, it's heavy, but it's it's good for us to look at and, and to t think through and process together. So as you're opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, let's all take a deep breath. And let's learn together from God's Word. So first first section, the problem, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3 again together. So, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is Paul's estimate of every man or woman without God, or in other words, the human condition. And so let's look at this in three parts. We were dead, we were enslaved, and we were condemned. So the first point here, we were dead. This is all of humanity's spiritual condition outside of Christ. And so the picture I think that's helpful for us to get in our minds is that this is like a corpse in the morgue where there, uh, in that space of spiritual death, you and I are actually impotent to change our situation. We are helpless. We are um, unresponsive and unable to go from death to life. And so it's important for us to think through like, okay, does this mean that um, people who are, that, that anything that looks like life is, isn't possible for someone who is spiritually dead? And Paul is kind of addressing this and saying that, you know, there, and we see this all through the Psalms, like, why do the wicked perish? Why, why do all these things happen? And this is interesting because we see so many people in our world who are, by the world standards, like very alive. They're killing it. They're doing all kinds of great things. And they're on these tiny little missions of, of salvation to save themselves, to save the world, to save all kinds of things. But Paul isn't saying that people who aren't spiritually, spiritually alive can't do things that are generous or altruistic. It's just that beneath that, underneath that, and that desire and hope to, to find life apart from God, it's an impossible task that it, essentially they are still um, a corpse in the morgue in the, in the grand scheme of the spiritual reality. All of these attempts at life cannot bring you back to real life, which is actually union and relationship with God. And so we were dead. We had, we were corpses in the morgue. God had zero bearing on our lives and we lived in this reality of spiritual death. And in this state, our spirit and our soul is dead in sin and trespasses. So we were dead due to our sin and trespasses. What sin does, guys, is it breaks us past repair. It bends us past, you know, re remaking in our own strength and an energy and so just to, to define sin and trespasses the the first word there sin is actually an old archery term and it's a failure to miss the mark and it often these are these are things that we don't try to do we're not going out and looking to sin but just in our brokenness and in our spiritual death we we just continually miss the mark and there's things that that we what we should do that we don't do and what we could do that we fail to do continually and we live in this pace place of like passive failure all the time like we just can't get it together and then beyond that there's trespasses and and this is these are sins or, or actions that we're actually committing something a false step or a deviation from the way or from the path um, a helpful picture is like seeing a no trespassing sign and you know cutting a hole in the fence and going anyway and in this state we live in an active place of rebellion against God so we're so this is what we in, in our spiritual death, these are the ways we were walking. So we were actually living this out. We were, this is our manner of life, was both rebellion against God and failure to live up to his standard. And to, to walk in this is not just like, it, it's, it's, you have to think about walking your life out. So what you traffic in, uh, what you're pursuing, your manner of life is what Paul is, is talking about here. And so the first reality check that we have to get our heads around is that we need spiritual salvation because we are dead. Not sick, 
not lost, but dead apart from God. And so behind death is sin. But then that raises the question, like, why? Why do we sin? And this is the second point Paul makes. We were enslaved. So Paul breaks down our disobedience in three ways here. He says the first thing we need to think about is that we were slaves to the world. And this is an external spiritual battle that exists that we all live in. And the world isn't necessarily the planet Earth itself. What Paul is talking about are the systems, the schemes, and the societies that have no orientation or reference or awareness of God. They've taken it upon themselves to define good and evil, and they're living into that fully and completely. And think of, you know, in the beginning of our Bible reading plan this year, guys, we were reading about Babylon. That's, that's the quintessential expression of the world there. And we were slaves to the world, so we were actually working against God's kingdom, working against God's ways, his rule, his authority. And so the world is the inverse of the kingdom of God. And so we were slaves in that space. And what we did is we lived lives that were self-centered. We continually defined good and evil apart from God with no bearing on God's ways. We were hedonistic. We just kind of followed through with whatever we felt was good as long as no one else got hurt. And kind of the ethos there is just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like, this is all we've got. Just live it up. Let's go. It gets worse, though. In this space of spiritual death, we were slaves to the world, but we were also followers of the devil. And that might be completely like, what are you talking about, Tom? I've never, you know, I've never even looked at a Ouija board or listened to Marilyn Manson. You know, but what what Paul is getting at here is, There is a spiritual reality in our world, the heavenlies, the spiritual realm that exists. And the prince of the power of the air that he's talking about here is this, the Satan. And Satan is actually the king of the world, meaning not, not the kingdom. He's the king of the, the societies, the systems, the, um, the, uh, my mind's going blank here. The systems that are opposed to God's kingdom. He's the king under which those things are, are happening. And so we live, we live here on this, in this world, and, and, and Satan is the king of that world. So there's this spiritual realm that we exist in that we are following his way. Like the world opposed to God's way is the, the world kind of where we're living in, in that state. And then finally, we were slaves to the flesh or ourselves. And this is this internal battle that goes on. And and Satan uses both that internal and external battle to keep us in this place of death and of spiritual, um, yeah, impotency. So we are slaves to the flesh. And what does this mean? This means that our desires and our passions have gone askew or awry. And so just to be clear, there's nothing wrong when you think about, you know, like our our natural needs to to eat or to, to have sex or to... Um, sleep or even to to build but what what Paul is talking about is that um, it's when our sleep turns to laziness na- laziness or sloth when our hunger turns to gluttony when our desire for sex turns to lust or our our desire to build turns to an ambition to actually rule and lord that over people and so Paul is saying yeah this is this is you know we, we sin because we were not only you know slaves to our physical desires but also our minds they had these desires for pride or false ambition or just to reject the known truth of you know, full of malice or vengeful thoughts. And essentially, this is just selfishness or self-centeredness expressed in every single way. Some heavy stuff. 
So as we were dead, we were slaves to the world. We were following the ways of the devil and we were slaves to our flesh and in ourselves. So the systems of the world are administered by the devil and his minions and they are fueled by our flesh. All of these promise us some form of salvation, but leave us as the walking dead. Reality check number two for us this morning is that we need spiritual release because we are held captive by the world, the devil, and our flesh. We have to go one level deeper, though. We were condemned. When spiritually dead people walk in the ways of the world, the devil, and the flesh, they are actually under the wrath of God. This is tough stuff to hear. In this space, man seems incapable of managing his own affairs or of creating a just, free, humane, and tranquil society, for man himself is askew. In short, we are spiritually doomed. I don't think I've ever talked about the wrath of God, but it, it's something I'm learning about and, and learning to see that it's actually some form of his love for us as humanity. And I was reading the, the commentary I've been using for this, this series so far from John Stott, and his definition of the wrath of God is this, God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with it, and his resolve instead to condemn it. If you were to ask any one of us, like, hey, are you, are you against evil? Are you, do you want to kind of condemn anything that represents that in, in the world? We would probably all say yes. Um, where it gets difficult is that it's hard for us to see that we actually have been contributing and, and working towards that end, towards the, the world. And we've been following the devil and we've been slaves to our flesh. So in that space, actually, God is, his wrath is, is upon us. And so in this, in this scenario, it's important for us to see that actually we were working against God in his ways. And it's easy for us sometimes to, to think, okay, th around this whole idea of sin and, and condemnation and all those things, it's easy for us to kind of, and I've been in this place, we've been talking about this even with our eldership team the last couple months and stuff, is we can't blame Adam for our sin or for our guilt or our condemnation. Adam being the first human, you know, that they disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. We can't be like, oh, it's because of him. I'm just, you know, I'm a victim here. All of us have actively participated in rebellion against God. And we've also failed to live up to his standard. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all walked in transgression and sin. And we, and because of that, we were all spiritually dead. So the third reality check we need to, to wrap our heads around, guys, is that God turns us over to his abandoning wrath. And what that means is that he removes this restraint and he says, basically, okay, you do what you want. And inherent to sin, built into sin and transgression are its own punishments and our own you see the brokenness and the fallout of you know becoming a slave to pornography or to gluttony or to workaholism where your family breaks down and so as we reject God's love his way and his rule etc etc we are we are abandoned into that place of wrath and this is everyone's story but it's not everyone's future it's easy for us to get stuck on the half half of the story, either either that first half that we've just gone through or the following half that we're going back in we're going into right now. But it's important for us to look at the whole entire story here. So we're spiritually dead, we're slaves, we're following the devil, we're condemned. Where do we go from here? 
If you guys have your Bible, I want you to look at verse four, the beginning there. We're going to go on to the second heading here of the solution. And I want you to underline, circle, highlight, put stars next to whatever you want to do. This, these two words, but God. But let's read all of these verses together, verses four to seven. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Holy moly. But God, God intervenes, God steps in. What was God, Father, Son, and Spirit, infinitely merciful and just, loving and faithful to do? He's going to fix it. He's going to make it right. He's going to rescue us from that despair. And this is summed up, guys, in this whole idea of union with Jesus or in Christ that's been coming up so often in Paul's writing so far as we've been studying. And it's the shorthand that we use is what's true of him is now true of us if we by faith join ourselves to Jesus and what he's done. And this is maybe a helpful picture, you know, the, the cloud you know, for, for internet stuff, I'm really bad at tech stuff, so this is probably gonna make, hopefully this makes sense, but it's incredible to me when I change something. So even this document that I'm reading from my notes for, for, these, for this sermon, I typed out on my computer. And as I make changes on my computer, it, it also changes the same document on, what, on my phone or on my tablet that I'm using. And so there's this crazy thing that happens or we can share things or, you know, so what's true of the words on my computer becomes true of the words on my tablet. Or what's true on the words of my tablet becomes true on the words of my computer. And so we don't really understand. I don't really understand how the cloud works in any ways, but it, it's real. It happens. It's, it's true at this point. And maybe that's a helpful picture for us to think about with this whole idea of union with Jesus. Like, I don't really understand how I was included in his death and in his resurrection, but I, I believe it. And I want to live like it's true. And I want to see the words that I typed out on my computer actually pop up on my tablet. And I want to see what's true of Jesus actually become and live out and have space to be for you and for me as we live our lives. So here we read, you know, these, these three things that Paul talks about that, you know, we were, he made, he made us alive. He raised us and he seated us. These are things that are a, clearly a parallel between what God did in Christ and what he does in a Christian. So back to that cloud idea, he, he typed that on his laptop, the laptop of Jesus, and it's becoming true on the tablet of us. So John thought on, on these three verbs of, you know, of making us alive, of raising us and seating us, he says this, these verbs refer to three successive historical events in the saving career of Jesus, which are normally called the resurrection, the ascension, and the session. We declare our belief in them and we say the creed, the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. What excites our amazement, however, is that now Paul is not writing about Christ, but about us. He is affirming not that God quickened, raised, and seated Christ, but that he quickened, raised, and seated us with Christ. Incredible. So if we, if we backtrack a little bit, you know, we were dead. The only hope for a spiritually dead person is what? It's, it's resurrection. And this is what he did for us. He made us alive. Think about Jesus. Jesus was dead. God raised him. We were dead. God raised us with him. And in that process, he re regenerated our soul and our spirit. 
And in this process, as we're being remade and, and, and reformed into the image of Jesus, the lusts of the flesh that we've struggled with and kind of lived into are, are, be go- are going to be replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. In that place of impotency and inability to change, we actually partner with the Holy Spirit to see Christ formed in us. There's a new sensitivity and awareness of the reality of God, whereas before God's world and God's way had no bearing on our lives. Now it's becoming part of the things that shape our worldview and how we live the world, how we live life in this world here and now. So there's an awareness of the reality of God and a love for him. There's a desire to follow him. There's a desire to trust him and, and take him at his word and beyond that for his people. As we kind of experience and know this together as, as his followers, there's going to be a new love for God's people as well. In this regeneration, we are we are driven to recover our, our nobility as sons and daughters of the king. You know, we were slaves of of the enemy, of the devil who beat us down and and who kept us in this space of slavery and of not knowing who we really are in Jesus. We're driven to recover our nobility, that there's something better for us in terms of reflecting and honoring God's ways. And in this space of being raised, we can begin to see things from a different perspective. We look down on our problems with Christ. Somehow in the mystery of all of this, we are seated with Christ in the presence of the Father and the Spirit. So the summary of what, what Paul is saying in that, in that those verses is just this. He saved us. We were dead. We were enslaved. We were condemned. But God, but God saved us. We were dead. Now we're alive. We were captives, captives, but now we've been enthroned. But how and why? Because like, I did not deserve that. You know, I, I, like we said earlier, I can't blame Adam for my sin. I was an active participant in those things. I was rebelling against God's ways. I was a failure in terms of living up to his highest and best for humanity. And this is the end here. Verses 8 to 10. Let's read this. The purpose. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So why? Why were we saved? Why were we made alive? Because God can only be who he is. God is faithful to who, to being and expressing his nature and character over and above anything else. God acted out of his sheer grace, mercy, love, and kindness. It's about who he is and not about what we've done. And this can be a... a, a it's, it's, it's simultaneously humbling and freeing. It's like, man, there's nothing I could do to earn this. Yeah, you give it to me, God. So I'm, I'm humbled and I'm grateful and I'm thankful. And that, that's, that's the prayer is that we don't fall into that trap of trying to earn God's love and earn regeneration and new life in him. He gives it to us because he's so good. He's so kind. He's so merciful. He's so gracious. He's so fill in the blank. He's just the best thing ever. So our in Christness or our inclusion or God typing on his computer and that making it true on our tablet is, is due to nothing we have done, but only by trusting and receiving by faith what God has done to resurrect, raise, and seat us with Jesus. We trust him. We take him at his word that that's what's true. So God, God can only be who he is. God is an artist as well. So Paul talks about us becoming and being 
God's workmanship. And the word there actually uh, translated is actually a masterpiece. We're actually God's masterpieces. So God's resurrecting, redeeming, and recreating of his people is a work of creative genius. He repurposes and reforms the wreckage we have caused and received by engaging in sin and trespass and all that stuff into masterpieces to showcase his undying love and unending grace for humanity. There's a purpose for your life. There, no matter how bent and broken and deformed you may feel at this stage, that God is, is a master peacemaker. He can redeem and rebend and reform and create and into masterpieces from our brokenness and our wreckage. The purpose of this, as, as God is remaking us, is actually as we kind of regain this idea that we were made to partner with God in his mission to reunite heaven and earth and to partner with him to join in the renewal of all things. This is why he's doing it. And beyond that, that, that um, God, so God is prepared from before. God had a plan. He knew from before the foundation of the world that he chose us, but he chose us for a purpose. And he's made these beautiful things for you to walk in that only you can walk in. As you partner with him to, to join him in the renewal of all things, there's specific things that only you can do as you have been made alive in Christ, as you've been raised with Christ, and now you're seated with Christ. There's ways that only, only you can express his nature and character to the people around you. People he's put in your path that no one else is going to come across. And it's just incredible to think about um, what God has done for us. There's a new path laid out for you and I as we kind of come back to life in God, as God's masterpieces, a new way of being. God calls us out of something, out of our death, and into something better, a new life in Jesus. And as we walk in these ways, as we um, learn to receive the reality of what God has done for us in Christ, um, there's going to be times where uh, people are going to be blown away by what's happened. Say, say relationships you have that God has used you to kind of help transform or something like that. And there's a, there's a story that I think is helpful for us to, to kind of think through, even when we kind of walk into these good works, is that um, there's a story, again, John Stott from his uh, commentary. I'll try to summarize it as best as I can. But he, his, uh, the dean of the university he was teaching at was retiring. And so that they had a portrait of him painted. And when he was kind of saying thank you to the artist and to the, um, the, the school and the other teachers and professors and stuff, he was talking about the painting and he said, that's the type of painting that someone will walk by and not ask who is the subject of this painting, but who painted this, who did this. And I think that's a helpful illustration for us as we kind of walk in and, and it, it's a, it's, it's something that helps us kind of stay focused that, you know, it's, it's, it's about, God, the artist, any, anything that's been transformed in us, the new life we have in him, it all points to him. Like when we think about, you know, people whose lives have been transformed completely, who in our own lives and those of us around us, when we think about the brokenness that God has redeemed and made into something beautiful, you can't help but point at the artist, not necessarily the art. Like, my goodness, the art is admirable, but behind that, this artist that can recreate and re reform and remake these things that are completely broken into something more beautiful than you could ever imagine. That's the point here. Your story is God's masterpiece and work. So for us to think about this collectively as a church, and we'll talk more about this next week, about what it looks like to be a, a group of people who have experienced this salvation. 
The church is at its best when it is a gallery for God's redemptive work and glory to be on display. And that's on display in people's lives. And that's what we're going for is to become like a gallery of God's masterpieces as we kind of walk through this together, experiencing and knowing our new life in Jesus as he makes all things new. And this brings us into the last heading here, guys, the choice. The reality check, learning to live like all this is true. In the funny story I told at the beginning, Jess is telling me information that I had not heard before. So in my mind, my shirt is actually purple, but she's coming to me and saying, actually, no, or I'm thinking it's black and she's saying, no, it's actually purple. And so I have to trust her. I could have gone out and walked out. You know, I know this is actually black. I'm fine. I'm good. And worn that shirt out and whatever. Wearing a purple shirt isn't the end of the world, but you know what I'm saying? There was an element of trust that I had to um, engage in to, to kind of walk this through. And she had my best interest at heart in that setting. And so I think for us as followers of Jesus who are saying, no, we want to, we want to live in reality. We want to, we want to speak the truth. I think my prayer for us as a community is that God would make us a prophetic voice. And what I mean by that is that in the midst of hedging and subtlety and not really speaking the truth, that we would be a loving and gracious group of truth tellers. So when we think about the world around us, when we think about our families and our coworkers and our neighbors and the confusion some of them are feeling or the hopelessness that some of them are feeling, it's it ties into this story that apart from Jesus, apart from life in God's kingdom, we actually are just, we're dead. We're enslaved, we're condemned apart from God. But that beautiful good news of verse four, but God. And so how do we do that? I think we need to be able to have this awareness of of the first half of the story that that some of us maybe even this morning are feeling like, oh man, I am still a slave. I am still walking in my trespasses and sin. And that's the, the good news is that God offers us this gift of repentance and belief. And then we can walk into God's kingdom and follow the way of Jesus and be forgiven and restored. And also for those of us who are following Jesus, this is a charge for us to kind of be aware and listening for opportunities to to evangelize and actually speak the good news as people are expressing their own feelings of being enslaved or being um, impotent to change or feeling like they are, you know, overindulging their flesh or whatever that might be. Uh, we have the good news of Jesus. We have the good news that God made us alive in Christ through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And for those of us who, you know, we, we're hearing this from the other side that, that, Maybe we just needed to be reminded, right, I am alive in Jesus. I am seated with him. I am raised with him. He has prepared good works for me to walk in beforehand. I think that discovering your unique calling and purpose is, is such an important thing. Even now in the middle of all these things, to slow down and just be with God, to, to become like God and to do what he did. Like, how do you, how do you kind of have eyes open to see, right? Because before we had God had no bearing, we had no real awareness of God. But now in this new life we have in Christ, he kind of is the one we're, we're seeing everywhere. We're, we're kind of looking to, to define everything for us. And how do we kind of begin to become fascinated with the painter and not the subject? How do we look for God's creative, redemptive genius in your world and in the your family and in your friends and encourage that and call that out in one another? There are some but God situations, I think, that, that we can speak into as well, that I'm just kind of speaking these out in faith that there's some people here that are listening to this this morning that feel lonely. 
that feel, you know, maybe you've lost your job recently and you feel hopeless. Maybe you're just discouraged and, and sick of, you know, not being able to see people or whatever that might be. You're just in a state of depression or discouragement. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you have anxiety about the future. But God, right? But God can comfort you and and God can provide for you. God can encourage you. God can heal you. God can give you peace about the future. But here's the deal is that you actually need to engage with God. I, I would charge you and challenge you to, by faith, you know, open up your heart to God in prayer. Open up your Bible and, and read God's word to you. You know, call up a friend and, and engage with God's people that way, where we can kind of be the body of Christ together. You know, there's a, a prayer by St. Teresa of Avila. She talks about, I'm not going to remember the whole thing, but essentially she's saying, you know, God has no body now, but yours. God has no arms now, but yours. God has no feet now, but yours. Meaning like we need to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. And so I would encourage you to just like, you know, God is trustworthy. He is good. He has your best interests at heart always to believe him. You know, just like I had to believe my fiance, she had my best interests at heart in that situation. How much more is that true of God? God gives us this new life in Christ so that we may use it for his glory. And may we be a gallery where we're continually putting on display God's masterpieces, God's redemptive genius and creative genius in our lives. May we be grateful and thankful for the new life we have in him and be willing and able to speak the truth and love to the people around us who are stuck in that place of death and helplessness and slavery to the world, to the flesh, and to the, to the devil. God is greater, God is better, God is bigger, God is able. May we trust in him more and more. I'm going to read this, this benediction from Hebrews chapter 13, and then that will be it for our time this morning. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Bless you guys.